0: us the word, we're glad you're here. Uh, for those of you that's in the room, and if you're watching by Facebook, we're glad you're here, whether it's uh, today, tomorrow, next week, or whenever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and what you are in our life. We glorify and magnify you. We praise you in the beauty of your holiness. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing. Father, let the words jump off the page and right into our spirit. Let it change us. Let it make us even more like you. Because your word is alive. Your word is sharp. Your word has the ability to cut away what needs cut away and to repair what needs repaired. And so we just praise you in all things, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Exactly what I said would happen, happened, and you all don't know it because you weren't in here to hear about it, but uh, if you see Edra laughing, you know who I'm talking about. All right. <laughs> Listen, we, last week we started this uh, series called It Is Settled, um, we had initially started this uh and called it something else but uh when i got into it i thought this is where we need to be and uh if i end here tonight uh i don't know if he's got an idea of of continuing where he's going to go because he'll be up next week um but we're talking about our salvation and how it has been settled uh in god and it's been settled forever um The word says that he chose us in him from the foundation of the world. That Jesus was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And so what played out on Calvary and what played out at the cross is just for our vision of what God had already considered done from the very foundation of the world. So last week, just to review a little bit, we looked at some things of why Jesus' sacrifice was necessary, why it was sufficient, it was enough. Um, <clears throat> uh, how to live in the freedom of being a new creation, um, what, it, what God was reconciling himself, God was reconciling the world to himself, what that meant, and uh, how to walk in righteousness. Now, later on, uh, if I was teaching a, a Bible school right now, I would suggest a book to you. You know what that means, right? Okay. It's called Two Kinds of Righteousness by E.W. Kenyon. Um, You read that one? It's a good one. Uh, Two Kinds of Righteousness by E.W. Kenyon. And um, so if you have a chance to read that, um, anything by Kenyon is going to just bless you and and, and put you over the top. Um, A lot of word from him. Just a real quick story. It has nothing to do with my message because I mentioned him. He pastored in Seattle, um, a pretty large Free Will Baptist church, actually. Um, And when he ministered, he wrote the curriculum for his teens, for his uh, children's church, and they were all based on what he was preaching to the adults that day. And in that time, uh, the time that he pastored, Uh, it is reported that he didn't have one congregation member die of sickness. Now, they died. It doesn't mean they didn't die because, you know, death comes to all of us. Uh, But everything in the church was all being taught, from the little ones to the old ones. Everybody was being taught the same thing every week. week. So just pretty interesting. Uh, So again, two kinds of righteousness. Righteousness by E.W. Kenyon is a great, great book for you. Um, Tonight we're going to read a lot of the same scriptures that we read last week. Hopefully we can get into them a little bit deeper. and uh,
1: We know that God has granted us
0: forgiveness, um, and it paved the way for us to forgive others. Uh, He initiated love toward us so that we could extend love. Now, here's some things I want to say, because tonight we're going to call this the power of grace. And I get accused of a lot of things because of the way I preach this. Um, (laughs) And I'm okay with that, you know. I've been in ministry for over 30 years now. I've been called everything uh, coming and going. But here's the thing I want us to get. See, my wife said, yep, yep. Here's the thing I want us to get. Grace does not absolve us from action. Rather, it allows us to rely on Jesus when our own determination and our own strength fall short. So grace doesn't absolve us from action, but it allows us to lean on Jesus when, because our actions aren't enough. Um... I'll save that for the later on when I preach this again. Um, what grace did and what Christ did on the cross, it represents a shift from the old Mosaic law over to the new... That, that, you realize that Mosaic law realized, realized, relied on self-resilience. We still have a, 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 a culture especially in an Americanized church that still relies, you really can't tell much difference between the law and and what what we have under grace now, what we call grace. We'll sing amazing grace, how sweet to sound to save the rich like me, but that only works as long as I can be a good little boy and check all the right boxes and do all the right things because then grace is no longer extended to me. That's like saying God just turned me loose and said, you know what, enough with you, out the door. And so, but what, now let me say something else. When When you start understanding grace, here's another thing that happened. It often people use it as an excuse to live like hell. Grace does not absolve us from action, but what it does is it allows us to rely on Jesus when our own self-efforts fall short. Amen? So what, it, what it, this grace is, it's a shift from the Mosaic law of self-reliance, doing everything right, checking all the right boxes. And, and so with grace, when we err or when we do do wrong, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he still remains steadfast in us. He's continually purifying the believer, constantly. You wanna know one thing that'll, that can absolutely wash you? Pastor Dave said it in our meeting with the, with the elders and, and some teaching leaders on Monday. He said, the water will wash them clean. Well, you know what the water is? It's the Word. The Word says it's the water of the Word that cleanses us. Uh, <laughs> so we know that Jesus' uh, uh, blood took away sin, it settled sin, we talked about that last week. But when we, I want, today I hope to offer you a little bit of balance. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter five, and this is the set of scriptures that set this off. I have threatened to teach this here for six years. I'm just now getting into it, and uh, look at what he says in Second Corinthians five. And if you're used to using the U version app, I forgot to put it up. So uh, that's what I'm called human. You want to be a secretary? Come talk to me. <laughs> An assistant. Here we go. Verse seventeen. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a what? That means everything you've ever done is gone. Everything you have ever done is gone, is remembered no more. You can't be a new creature holding on to old baggage. When you became new, it all fell off. Your slate is completely clean. Old things are passed away and look, all things have become new. All of this is from God who has reconciled, we talked about this last week, who has reconciled uh, us to himself how? Through Jesus Christ. So we are reconciled. Well, who's reconciled? Well, we've looked at this over the past few weeks. The world has been reconciled. Oh, you can't say that. Not everybody's reconciled. I didn't say it. The word will say it here in just a second. But does that mean everybody's going to take advantage of this reconciliation? No. It's still a choice whether you want to take advantage of this or not. Uh, He said, so he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We live, hang on, this hurts. We live in a reconciled world That people who choose not to accept their reconciliation continue to make it something that it is not. Remember, we talked about it a few weeks ago. The enemy has blinded what? Their mind. Their Their minds have been blinded to this salvation. He said that it was, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's such a, I don't, why is that such a shocker? We, we I watch people all the time when, when I start talking, like, they cringe. I, we can't say that. I didn't, he did. Yeah, but church brain, usually when I hear that, that's the church brain popping up. <laughs> Reconciled the world to himself. Get this, not imputing, if you're reading King James, But that word imputing, we looked at it last week. What's it mean? He's not taking into account. He's not counting their sins against them. Wait a minute. God is not counting man's sins against them? I tell you all the time, I say it all the time. The world faces hell with their sins already forgiven. Jesus is going to do nothing else to forgive sin. It's all been done. But only thing that is held against you, the only thing that is held against myself is the acceptance of the reality of the reconciliation of the world to God and that God has reconciled me already. We call that accepting Jesus into our hearts But what it actually is, is coming into agreement with what God has already done. are, Are we okay? Good. And has entrusted, he's not counting their sins against them, and has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. And we implore you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, why? So that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ. Now I I covered this a long time ago and I don't wanna go into it again tonight. Uh, We'll go into it another time. That word that we might be, we think, well, see, you may be, you may not be. That's not what that word means there. That that word actually means there that we are, or we have become, uh, so that we would become the right. So who is the righteousness of God in Christ? You are. And no matter what happens in your life, you still are. There is nothing that you and I can do to undo the work of God. here's the key. We act like there is. <laughs> and so what happens is people start relying on their own self-effort to stay right with God. And their, their, own, their self-effort is, is self-righteousness. And what is self-righteousness according to Isaiah? Filthy rags. And we all know what kind of rags he's talking about, right? If you don't, we'll talk another day when it's not so many people in the room. <laughs> we have to remember that Jesus' sacrifice has nullified sin's power in our lives. Sin has no power in our Then why do people still sin? Because they want to. They, they, they're, they're, they're lining their minds up with something else. But the work of the cross nullified sin's power. Sin no longer has power over you. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And we read a lot of these last week, but I think we need to read them again to get them in our spirits real good. Hebrews chapter 2. So then as children share flesh and blood, he likewise took part in these. So what are we talking about? Everybody who's flesh and blood, Jesus came down and took part in it. Well, I mean verse 14. He took part and became flesh and blood. Why? Because all humanity was represented in him. Remember, we talked about covenant for several months. We talked about how Jesus became covenant. He represented mankind in a covenant because mankind couldn't do it. (coughs) He said he took part in these so that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil. Verse 15. And deliver those who through fear of death were throughout their lives Subject to bondage. Through death, he might destroy. That word destroy, I I hinted to it last week, but I want to give you the, the actual definition this week. The word destroy there, it means to render idle, to make unemployed. The devil is an unemployed foe in your life. He has been rendered idle. He has no power over you. He has no authority over you. We get this idea that, oh, when we go to hell, the devil's down there pitchforking everybody. And, you know, he he don't own hell. (laughs) He is a completely unemployed, rendered idle foe. The rest of it, the definition of that word destroy, it means to be inactive. Yeah, but the devil is like a roaring lion going to and fro, seeking whom he may destroy. The only ones he can destroy is the ones who will lay down and let him. Because he has no power. I look him right, right on the end of the nose in Jesus' name. He has no power. I had a dream one time, and in this dream I was running from a snake. If you don't know me very well, I don't like snakes. And if you have a boa or a python, I don't want to touch it, I don't want to pet it. It, It's not a pet. Put it back out in the woods where it belongs. Nine millimeter will take care of your pet. (laughs) But I had this dream. I was running from this snake and man, I'm on a dead run and this sucker's chasing me. And all of a sudden, I hear Holy Spirit say, look back at it. And I looked back at it, and its mouth was open to strike, but it had no teeth. It wasn't quite as afraid, as scary anymore. Then I turned, and he said, look again. And when I looked again, it was about this big. And so I turned around, and I stepped on it. You do realize in G- Genesis, when he was talking about Jesus and we are in Christ, he said, you'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. And the Holy Spirit said, that's the way that people see the enemy. He's big and scary, but he has no teeth. And if they'll really step back and realize who they are in Christ, they'll realize he's a little teeny tiny. But w- you know why we have messed this up so bad, Joe? is because we've, are, as, as, our, as parents, as grandparents and growing up, we always heard the term, devil will get you. Yeah. Don't do that, the devil will get you. Oh, don't say that, the devil will get you. We have created a culture that is vilified a defeated enemy. Yeah. <laughs> a villain is something you have to fight an enemy a a defeated foe is something you can control come on so when he said he destroyed he made the enemy inactive it means to be in the word i'm still on the word destroy. inoperative to cause a person or a thing to have no further efficacy he has no more effect so, you mean all this stuff and he has no effect, then whose fault is half the stuff that's going on in the world? Look in the mirror. Whose fault is it the things that's going on in my life? All I have to do is look in the mirror and find the biggest devil I've ever seen. Because I'll refuse to line up with what the word says about me that I am reconciled, I am sanctified, I am holy. But yeah, but what if I do this and what if I do that? I still can't undo the work of Jesus. Nothing I can do can undo that work. Oh, glory. And when I understand that, I can go back to him and say, hey, daddy, I did it again. And then he cleans me off and he sets me up. He doesn't get out of my sight. He's never done that. Mm. The word destroy, that he might destroy, means to deprive of force and influence and power. The enemy has no power over you. So he can't force you to do anything. Why do I do it? Because I forget who I actually am, I forget that I'm holy. See, when we really understand this, all these things that we do, we find ourselves not wanting to do anymore because I'm holy and the holy doesn't do this. Righteous doesn't do this, but I'm not righteous. You can't undo what God's already done. We are free from the bondage of Satan, the defeated. This, uh, now, here, get this. This doesn't mean the devil doesn't exist. just means we've been free from him. Will he always come back and try to get you to side with him? That's all sin is, is when I decide to side with his ideas. He'll always come back to get you to side with him. And you know what? Sometimes I do. <laughs> But it doesn't make me any less reconciled to God. I'm still in something that Pastor Ted and I talked about today. Charles Stanley, they once asked him, said, You mean I can be a Christian and sin and keep sinning? He said, Yeah. But one day when you stand before God, you'll find out the life you could have lived And the life you chose to live because of the sin you kept doing could have been heaven on earth. Why? I can't undo what God's done. You mean you can't sin? Nope, I'm good at it. I'm good at it, but I still can't undo. So what is it? It's a choice. It's a choice that you make. It's a choice that I make. We're going to talk about some things tonight. Romans chapter six, let's just stay into this. Y'all okay? Yeah. Romans chapter six, verse twenty-two. But now I'll wait, I hear pages. But now having been freed from sin. What? What am I? What are you? Yeah, but they still sin. It's not because they have to. It's because of a choice they decide to make. I'm not forced to sin. That means I can go without sin. That means you can go without sin should you choose to. This is the mission should you choose to accept it. Quit sinning. (laughs) <laughs> Therefore, we have been free from sin and having become slaves of God. You have fruit unto holiness and the end is eternal life. Now, before we go on, who is the book of Romans written to? Somebody, thank you. Say it again. Believer. Believers. He's talking, we want to use this on every unbeliever. He's not even talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to those of us who are free from sin. Amen. It's what he says in verse 22. But you being free from sin have become slaves to God. You have a fruit of holiness, the end of eternal life. But the wages of sin is death. So for me to keep sinning, even though I've been freed from sin, It brings destruction. Death is destruction in my own life. So can I go out here and sin? Sure I can. Is there going to be consequences for it? You better believe it. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through who? Not even you. Nothing you did deserves or determines eternal life. It's all through Jesus. But if I continue in sin, what am I doing? Bringing death. I'm just continuing to bring death to myself. Isn't it funny how we have used this to unbelievers who've not even accepted the truth of salvation. They've not accepted the message of reconciliation. They're choosing to continue to be in bondage. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Go jump back to Hebrews 10. We're going to, we're going to spend a lot of time in 10, and, and probably Romans some more. I don't think we're going very many more places than that tonight. Romans 10, verse 14. Romans 10, verse 14. Huh? Hebrews, thank you. I would have realized it when I started reading, y'all looked at me funny. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering, he has forever perfected those who are sanctified. We have looked at this over the past several weeks, especially when we looked at who is sanctified, who is the chosen, who is the predestined? Us, the world. The world is that predestined. We are that sanctified. He has forever perfected. Church brain just kicked in. I felt like I heard the Holy Spirit say, Somebody thinks you're saying there is no hell and we don't have to worry about it. I didn't say that. Well, see, we get quiet. Because these things, but it doesn't change the fact of what the word says. For one sacrifice, one offering, he has forever perfected those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also witnesses to us about this for after saying, so we are perfected, completely cleansed for all time. Well, you can't say you're perfected, you're completely cleansed for all time. So I guess the word perfected forever means something different. That word forever means it. Verse uh, 14, for by I wanna read this out of the Amplified. For by a single offering, he has forever completely cleansed and perfected those who were consecrated and made holy. And also the Holy Spirit adds his testimony to us in confirmation of this. Now, jump down to verse 17. We're going to make it just about to the end of this chapter tonight. Then he adds. Who adds? God adds. Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Well, then no wonder he cannot count man's sins against him, because he don't remember. Their sins and lawless deeds, I'll remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. In other words, once forgiveness is granted, an offering doesn't have to be offered anymore. That's why Jesus was that one offering that forever perfected those who are being sanctified. And where there is forgiveness, there is no more offering needed. If forgiveness wasn't really forgiven, forgiven. if forgiveness wasn't really given, Jesus would have to be the sacrificial lamb that was in the Mosaic law that had to be sacrificed over and over and over and over again. Like somehow he came up short when dealing with your sin. That the creator of the universe, this is what we've been taught to believe though. That the creator of the universe who breathes out stars (laughs) who knows them all by name, who knows the number of the hair on your head, who weighs the waters of the universe in the hollow of his hand, who knows the measure of the dust and the dirt in the universe, that somehow he was not enough to overcome your best efforts of self-sanctification. How arrogant are we? And what a little God we have taught people to believe in. Imagine if we taught people that they're free, that God is not always going around going, sin, 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 sin. Come on, show me sin. Show me some sin. Show me some sin. Sin, sin, sin. He says he can't remember sin. There are sin and lawless deeds I will remember no more. He says in another scripture he says he took sea and cast it as far as the says he cast them into the depths of the sea and remembers them no more. Like somehow. Does that mean you can't sin? No, it means I can sin good. What happens when I sin? It creates death. It causes destruction, there's consequences to our sin. The only thing he's waiting on is an acceptance of the reconciliation message. That's the only thing holding people back, right now. But we want him to get them to do everything. Why did that go through my head? This is the way my brain works sometimes we want, we want Pentance poodles. Jump through the hoop this way. Jump through the hoop this way. Come on, jump through the hoop this way. Now you're good enough. As if somehow anything I could do was better than what he did on the cross. Anything that I, any hoop, mm, now, does that mean I'm, no, I can't sin? Nope, I sin. What brings sin? Remember, he's talking in Romans to a church. Wages of sin. What I earn from sin is destruction. There's consequences to it. Whew. Now, where there is forgiveness, but here's verse 18 of Hebrews 10. We're still there, right? Y'all got to keep me straight. Now, where there is forgiveness of sin... There is no longer an offering for sin. Wait a minute, what? Where there is forgiveness, there's no longer an uh, an offering. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. I love this chapter, it's a good one. Hebrews 10, verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. In other words, when he came into the world, the end of sacrifices and offerings was there. He said, You don't want any more sacrifices and offerings. Why? Because the real the one offering that would forever settle the score was getting ready to be offered. He said, you do not desire sacrifices and offerings, but a body you have prepared for me. Why? Because mankind was getting ready to experience the greatest reconciliation, the greatest restoration it had ever seen since the beginning when he called land back out of the sea. <laughs> and we get real uncomfortable because we keep trying to justify other things. It's funny. We, I see so many people trying to justify sin. And other people trying to justify what causes us to sin. And others trying to justify. This. The only justification is in the cross. And it was at once. And it was enough. And I can't undo that. You can't undo that. Now, can I live completely outside of it? Absolutely, I can I can live outside of that. That's a choice. We see people making it every day. They're making that choice every day. And what will happen to wages of sin is death. Destruction will come. Man, folks. But when when will we teach people that they're free? That they don't have to be held in bondage to sin because sin lost its bondage over them. Even those who have not received the message of reconciliation from us yet, sin still has lost its bondage on them. I saw a perfect picture the other day and I meant to screenshot it and put it on Facebook and I ran in, it was about 7 30 in the morning, I said, Dee, look at this. She's trying to put her makeup on, get ready for work because I get to come in later than she does. And uh, I said, look, and it was this warrior on his knees, And it said, this is what sin really looks like. And there's these big battleship chains coming from this side and big battleship chains coming from this side. Did you see this one? But they were missing, they couldn't touch. And this warrior had put his arm through this side and his arm through this side and was completing it. The only thing that held him in sin was for him to just let go of it. He was free, but he held on like this. And that's what we do. And that's what, that's what so many who still are walking around unbelieving, that's all they're doing. They're walking around like this. And we choose to stay in the bondages of sin. We choose to stay. I saw a video one time. They were doing some research on some monkeys and they couldn't catch them because they were so doggone smart. But these monkeys like sweets. So they put these sweets inside of a hollowed out log that was just big enough for their hand to go in. So when the monkey would reach his hand in, he'd close his fist and his hand wouldn't come out because he was stuck. And they would run in to capture these apes so they could study them And the apes was easily captured when all they had to do was let go. They were only held by what they held on to. We are only held by what we hold on to because the effects and the power of sin has been broken. Because where there is forgiveness there is no more sacrifices required. Well, I gotta give up this and I gotta do this and I gotta do that. Where there is forgiveness, there's no more sacrifices required. Remember, we read the scripture last week. Shall we continue in sin? Paul said what? God forbid. So if you think this is a license to sin, God forbid, this is a license to be free. Uh, We have misused this as a license to try to sin. It's really a license to be free from sin and not be held in chains anymore. But we made it something else. And we're monkeys with our hands stuck in the log. Verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. See, the old law was always man trying to do it himself, and God had no pleasure in that. Then I said, see, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the volume of the book previously when he said, you did not desire sacrifices and offerings, and you have no pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, which are offered in accordance with the law. Verse 9. Then he said, see, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. He's talking about a covenant. He fulfills the first so he can establish this covenant. Now verse 10. By this will, we have been sanctified. By his will, we have been sanctified. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In other words, this is a done deal. Then why ain't everybody living it? Because not everybody's choosing it. And this power of grace is a really a license for you to live the most free you have ever lived. Pinocchio just danced through my mind. Remember, I got no strings to hold me down. I'm a real boy. I'm a real boy in Christ. He has cut the strings and took out my heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. He made me a real boy. He made you a real girl. He caused life to come in you. He put eternity into your heart. He set you free from the law of sin and death. He made the enemy unemployed over you. This is the power is for you to be freer than you've ever been. Freer, that's a redneck word. More free. More free. The blood of animals was never good enough. They didn't take away sin. They covered it for a year. Jesus' blood, Jesus' body removed it permanently. Reconciled the world. That is, that God was in Christ Jesus, not holding man's sins against him. The Mosaic Law represented basic spiritual instruction to those who lived by it. They were spiritual babies. Jesus existed within the framework of the Mosaic Law in order to free people who were held by its constraints. This is freedom. He elevated us from the status of servants to the status of children. (laughs) And yet we still wanna live like servants. And we still wanna hold on to things that hold us down. The permanent grace of Christ replaced the short-term effect of the law. Verse 26. So what do we do? We are all guilty of this, Pastor Dave. This This is what we're all guilty of. For when, for if we willfully continue to sin, after we have received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So we tell everybody, see if you willfully sin, all sin's willful. <laughs> we, and no matter what the sin is, we all do it. But it doesn't mean that there is no sacrifice means the sacrifice was already paid. Jesus was the, we've read it today several times, the one sacrifice. When we decide that we're gonna continually to live in this sin state, we are willingly trying to put ourselves back under a law that was cruel, that was hard, that was vicious, that is a taskmaster, Romans says. And so Dave, when I continually sin, I'm continually trying to put myself under a law and there is no sacrifice anymore. Once I put myself under the law, I can't go around and make all these sacrifices for the forgiveness of my sin. I'm going to have to come back to Jesus or I'm going to stay in a place that's kept me bound and it'll bring death in my own life. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. In other words, fully grasping the truth and still choosing to live in a manner that goes against it is a severe rejection of Christ as Savior for us. But it doesn't change the fact that He is the Savior. And it doesn't change the fact that he's already won. And it doesn't change the fact that sin doesn't have a hold on you. You have a hold on it. Ooh. The new covenant established by Christ is unique because it's not like the old religious system where sacrifices had to be made again and again and again. This new covenant says Jesus is the one the ultimate, the final sacrifice. Folks, there is no plan B when it comes to salvation. And if I continue in sin, I'm continuing to look at my shortcomings. When I would counsel people when they were in addiction, they'd come to me and say, Brent, I relapsed. I said, okay. Then what happened? Well, then I did it again. Why? Because I felt so bad about doing it. And I didn't want to think that I had gotten so far and I messed up again. So I didn't want to think about that anymore, so I did it again. And then when I sobered up, I thought I've done this twice now. I, see, shame comes in. The only person in control of this was them. They had already been freed. I'm talking about people who were free. That's what, that's what our own self-righteousness does to us. It reminds me, oh, look at me. I'm just, so low. I'm just an old lowly sinner saved by grace. I need to do better. I need to do better. I need to do better. Jesus already did better. Better than you'll ever do. And so I don't have to keep trying to cover all of that. Verse 27. Are you with me? Does it make sense? But a fearful, now this is what happens at my severe rejection of the one sacrifice. But a fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. When we decide to ignore and reject this gift, we're essentially setting ourselves up for self-imposed penalties. And who's going to judge me harder than me? Who's going to get mad? Let me tell you, have you ever done something you swore you was never going to do again? Okay. And then you did it again. Who was harder? Who was the hardest person on you? You. That's why my patients would keep going back and using again. They're always trying to make a sacrifice, always trying to figure out how can I be better? How We're setting ourselves up for self-imposed. These aren't just minor consequences either. They can completely devastate our life. These sins can completely devastate our life. Monkey, open your hand. Let it go and escape. You have been set free. You have been set free. Jesus took punishment for our wrongdoings. So we don't have to. In other words, I don't have to punish myself again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And again. I did it again. Oh, I need to feel like a dirt. I need to feel like... Now, should there be some repentance? Absolutely. I need to change my mind about what's got me lying here, lying to myself, thinking I'm not holy, thinking I'm not righteous. An enemy who has been rendered useless has convinced me that I'm in the same boat as him. (laughs) And I can be free. It's choosing to live under the law. But there's no more sacrifice. It's only the one. It's me rejecting a free gift. Doesn't mean the gift's not there, it means I'm not accepting it. It's been done for all mankind, but not all mankind has accepted it. I wish they would, that's my job. Tell them how good it is. We've been free from sin's power, but we have to decide whether we want to go back and live under the law and be restrained anymore, verse 28. Does this help a little bit on this scripture? Anyone who despised Moses' law died without mercy in the presence of two or three witnesses. In other words, under the old law that Moses had instituted. You do realize there's a difference between God's law and Moses' law, right? Moses' law, if you had got the Ark of the Covenant, the commandments that God gave him on the mountain were inside, where the presence of God were. His laws that depended on mankind weren't even allowed into the presence of God. That was them trying to rectify themselves, reconcile themselves. There was a little special door on the side and they put Moses' law on the outside where it could always be pulled out read, and reminded of. But under the old law, it, it was a harsh system and it only took two or three witnesses to put you to death, whether they lied or not. That means me and Galen can get together and make sure Joe dies. That's all it took. For the enemy is like a roaring lion who roams to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. (laughs) There was no room in the old law for second chances. There was no room for grace. And the grace of the new covenant, when we live a life that's guided by it, we are removed from the fear of judgment. Because in grace himself, and I say himself because he is Jesus, is the complete embodiment of the perfect law. And I have been found in him. I was crucified with him, I was buried with him, and I resurrected with him. And as him, as he took on humanity in his body, he settled humanity's sin problem. Now the job is to get everybody to understand it. And believe it, verse 29. How much more severe the punishment do you suppose deserves who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded the blood of the covenant that sanctified him to be a common thing. In other words, it's just another law. And look what it says here. And has insulted the spirit of grace. Consider how severe this judgment. When we try to say, for some reason, God, you wasn't good enough, My sin is stronger, and so I put myself under a law and I'm looking for a way out, and there is no more sacrifice to be found. I'm eventually going to have to go back to Jesus, and I'm going to have to fall before him because the wages of sin is severe judgment, punishment. But if we treat the gift of grace lightly, it's like a public insult. To the Holy Spirit. In other words, when we opt to live by the old punitive law instead of the welcoming law of grace that puts Jesus in the forefront of everything, we live under the hammer of the old law. Verse 30. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay Who's he talking to here? Believers, believers. The Lord will judge his people. Absolutely, he's talking about his people here. The Lord will judge. Why do we automatically assume that that judgment determines hell or heaven? when there's grace. Well, you don't believe in hell. Absolutely I do. That's why I say it all the time. The world faces hell with their sins forgiven. So, But if we don't listen to this as a whole, that's what people take away. But he's talking to church here. Those who are familiar with just, just religious texts, Pastor Ted could tell you this. God has always been about restoring peace and order. That's what judgment does, isn't it? It restores peace and order. Even when I stand before him as the idiot that I am, who keeps hanging on to sin that I've been set free from, he will still judge me to restore to peace and order. That's what judgment is for. <laughs> you mean there's no you, I should never feel guilty didn't say that he says you should live holy as he's holy well what's holy we well, can go on and on and on because what some denominations say is holy not in the word but yet man we have sat in real good judgment of a whole lot of people <laughs> because they didn't live up to hmm. he is the ultimate judge he is the arbiter and he is deeply committed to establishing righteousness verse 31 it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God it is an unbelievably so think about it how foolish how tragic it'd be for us to deliberately turn our back once we know we're free it'll bring destruction because even to the believers Jeff the wages of sin is death it's destruction but we need to quit acting like what we have told unbelievers that that means for them. We've told them this is what it means. we were not even talking to them. They don't understand that. Because remember in verse 22, he says, and you who have been freed from sin. He's talking to people who's been set free from sin. And so what we do is we put ourselves through immense suffering through destruction, through hell. And so many people we misinterpret that to think that, well, if I willfully sin, all sin is willful. It's not a hole that you fall in because you didn't see it. (laughs) And we'll never find another sacrifice than Jesus, so just come back to Jesus. But we think because we messed up and we failed, that, well, I guess he just don't love me no more. Yeah, but I, see, this is why when you get people who have struggled with addiction and they first awaken to salvation and they come to church and all of a sudden they show up one Sunday and they are wiped out of their gourd higher than the, the church. I knew they didn't get it. They got it the same time you did. While you were yet sinners, he died for you. They got it back then. They haven't figured out they're free yet. They come in living all kinds of different lifestyles. And we look at them and go, you old sinner. How about you new believer? Here, let me show you how to come out of this. Because those who are strong in faith should lead those who aren't. It didn't say they aren't in faith. It says that they haven't figured out how free they are yet. Just because you're blessed and highly favored and you have figured out that you're the monkey that opened its hand doesn't mean that they haven't figured out yet. I challenge this church to get ready for everything. Every type of person. And they're going to come in and they're wiped out. And they're going to come in living things that you would not believe, and I'm daring you to keep your mouth shut. Come on, come on. I smelled weed all over them. <laughs> okay. What'd you say? Preach, it Preach a little bit. <laughs> I thought you said breathe through your mouth. <laughs> So where else should they be? Yeah, but they can't be saved and they can't have Jesus in their heart. They got him the same way you did by accepting the reconciliation that was done on the cross. And that's all it took. Now, do they have a ways to go and a few things to learn? Absolutely they do. But who's going to be the ones that will take him by the hand and say, I know you messed up. Let's go. I know you fouled up, let's go. Or are we going to be the ones that stand over them with a boot on their throat saying you should have got it right the first time like you did? Come on. We act like there is no more sacrifice for sin. There's not. He already came. He already did it. They don't have to work up some other sacrifice well, what if they don't come out of it real fast? When's the last time you got mad at a baby for being a baby? When's the last time you kicked a kid because it fell down after it started to take a few steps? Our problem has become, we expect them to act like those of us that's been in this thing for 35 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, however long. And the difference is, the sins I still choose to hang on to, I think you're somehow not as bad as the sin that they hang on to. Not as visible, (laughs) Bob There is no more sacrifice. And you know what sin does? Destroys. In the life of believers, sin still destroys but you don't have to sin. You've been set free from sin and we can do nothing to pardon and cleanse ourselves when we try to make rules and regulations that govern behaviors. It does nothing but put us back under a law. And if we live in grace, we understand that we've been set free. Jesus needed to only make this one time. A few more verses, you good? Romans 6. Romans 6. I told you, Hebrews 10, Romans 6 today, verse 1. Bless Pastor Ted so he can go home and get to work tomorrow. Romans 6, chapter 1. No, Romans 6, chapter 1, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so grace may increase? No. God forbid. So quit sinning. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? So, what is my position now? I am dead. I am dead to sin. Well, then why did you sin? Because I went out here and decided to play with something that I've already been freed from, that I'm dead to, and the, pro- the cost that it's going to make in me is going to be some form of destruction in some part of my life. It could ruin my life completely. Verse six. Knowing this, that our old man has been crucified with him. So that the body of sin might be destroyed. Wait, what? The body of sin destroyed. Do you realize sin has no hold on you? There is no more sacrifice for sin. Why? Because he is it. And anytime I try to live by rules and regulations, I'm going back under the law. Listen, there's a scripture I, I intentionally am not reading to you guys, because my wife told me not to. <laughs> and it's and it's mentioned more than once. When you we find out how free from sin you are, <laughs> she said I made her sound bad. I'm teasing. It's a joke. Knowing this, that our old man has been crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we should no longer be slaves to sin. For the one who has died is free from sin. And where did I die? I died on the cross with Christ. My old man was on the cross with Christ. And now I am dead. I'm dead to sin. Verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also consider yourselves. There is the problem. It's that mindset. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Pastor Dave, we have not allowed people to consider themselves dead to sin because we've stood up in pulpits for so many years and told them how bad they were, how awful they were, how low they were, how they're only going to make it by the skin of their teeth, and they ain't got skin on their teeth, so you might not make it anyhow. And you consider yourself to be dead to sin. And al- but alive to God, through who? Not anything you did, Jesus Christ our Lord. So that tells me there's a mindset that has to take place: a sin consciousness versus a righteous consciousness. I can consider myself dead to sin and alive to God, or I can consider myself dead to God and alive to sin. And that's called repentance. Metanoia, changing of the mind. So this isn't just a free-for-all sin anytime you want. Nope. This is a license to be free Amen. from sin, not free to sin. Hear me, it's a license to be free from it, not to be free to it. Okay, therefore, do not let sin reign over your mortal bodies. Who's in control of that? You are. Do not let sin, let go monkey. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Do not yield yourself members to sin. This is what you're doing. He's leading all of this down to verse 23, for the wages of sin. But verse 22 says, but you're free from sin. But if you choose to continue this, then destruction brings, sin brings destruction. Verse 13, do not yield your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourselves to God. Who's doing this? You are. As those who are alive from the dead and your bodies to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Why have we never taught people this? We wanted to tell them how bad they were. Not how free they were. (laughs) For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because it's dead. He killed it. The cross settled it. (sighs) For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Look what he says here. God forbid. So hear me clearly. Facebook world and Harvest Christian Fellowship. Don't sin. (laughs) There's consequences. It brings destruction. You don't have to. You're free. And you're only held by what you hold on to. God forbid that we should sin. Verse 9, 16. Do you not know to whom you yield yourselves as slaves to obey? You are slaves to the one whom you obey. You are a slave to who you decide to be a slave to. And we have been set free to be slaves to God. Let me tell you a slave in God's house is a child. <laughs> whether sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thanks woo, be to God. For you were, everybody say were. That's a past tense word right there. For you were slaves of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart, that is the teaching to which you were entrusted. In other words, they believed the, the message of Reconciliation. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. All of these scriptures are talking to the body of believers. It's not talking to unbelievers. Why would we willfully return to bondage that costs such a great price to set us free from? the law of moses makes us conscious of sin but it's temporary it's finite but the one time sacrifice of jesus offered permanent forgiveness from sin forever sad that many do never do not ever choose this freedom so they continue in that sin they have made themselves slaves And the wages of sin is death. When are we going to teach people they're free? Jesus took away the sinful nature. We looked at that last week. But it's up to us to avoid the sinning. We don't have to sin anymore. I'm going to leave you with this. Romans chapter 5. So maybe we did go back somewhere else. (laughs) Verse 20. But the law entered so that sin might increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded much more. Where there is so much sin, there's so much more grace. Verse 21, sorry. So that just as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord so when we try to go back to live in this old way we're looking at Jesus and saying that wasn't enough and what does that do? that brings a judgment that brings death but it also brings a judgment as a believer not as an unbeliever Can I say that again? That judgment is a judgment to a believer who have accepted the message of reconciliation, not an unbeliever who rejected the message of reconciliation. Got to remember who it's written to. And whom the Son sets free. Free indeed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this word. Father, I hope today that my words are clear. I ask that you sink it into our hearts. Let it rest into our spirits. Let us realize just how free in you we are. Holy Spirit, just begin to move and and mold us into more of your way, more of your word, and more of your glory. For it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And let us remember that he is in us. And we are free from the enemy. We are free from sin. And we are free from the fear of death and judgment. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.